And welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us. We've got basketball season in full swing. We also, of course, have to say goodbye to football season as well. I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of those topics, including what the future holds for Aaron Rodgers. We tackled all of this and more on the latest edition of the Game Night. Uh, some late-breaking Man, it's not it's not news because it's not news yet. But this is a possibility that a quarterback named Caleb Williams, perhaps you're familiar with his wares, late of the Oklahoma Sooners, it was assumed that Caleb Williams was just going to follow his head coach Lincoln Riley to USC. Uh, that may not be the case. And the Wisconsin Badgers apparently are in the running for his services, and it has to do with one of their candidates, well, at least the only public candidate that we know of for their vacant offensive coordinator's position. Now, late last week, we told you that the structure, I guess, for the coaching staff is going to change a little bit. Joe Rudolph left. That created an opening. And this past year, Paul Christ had the dual role of head coach and offensive coordinator. And the year prior to that, Joe Rudolph was the offensive coordinator. He called the plays for most of the season anyway. And that didn't necessarily work out all that well. So Paul Christ took back play-calling duties from Joe Rudolph and let him concentrate on the offensive line. And there, as the season wore on, I think there was some uh, dividends that were paid by having Joe Rudolph able to coach the offensive line. As the season got on, the offensive line got better and better and better, and that's in part how they had that seven-game winning streak. So Joe Rudolph then leaves. Uh, He takes the job at Virginia Tech, just change of scenery, and sometimes I think new blood was necessary in the Wisconsin offensive play-calling room and on the offensive coaching staff. So Baltimore Ravens tight ends coach and played in the NFL for 15 years. It's a name that... Most of you are at least somewhat familiar with Bobby Ingram. He is someone who has familiarity with Paul Christ. He was on Paul Christ's staff shortly after he retired as a player from the NFL. But when Paul Christ took the head job at Pitt, Bobby Ingram was on his staff. So now the Badgers are looking for an offensive coordinator. Uh, Bobby Ingram has this long coaching resume, but he's never been a coordinator. But he's also been in the NFL for the last decade or so, uh, most recently as the tight ends coach and prior to that the wide receivers coach with the Baltimore Ravens. Bobby Ingram, who, by the way, his son Dean Ingram plays on the Badgers. He's a defensive back. They've got a longstanding relationship with Caleb Williams. So as Bobby Ingram has emerged as a candidate, perhaps the candidate, the odds-on favorite to become the next offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. That may be what is helping lure Caleb Williams to Madison. Uh, LSU was also thought to be in the mix when Caleb Williams decided that he was going to go into the NCAA transfer portal. So now it may be between USC and Wisconsin. That's what the tea leaves are kind of saying right now. So it's not a done deal. I, I I can't say that there's breaking news because there really isn't yet, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Is Caleb Williams perhaps potentially going to be Russell Wilson 2.0? I guess that's the pie in the sky hope because Russell Wilson came here and we all know what he did. He had just an incredible one season with the Badgers, led them to the Rose Bowl. They didn't you know, beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl, but they still got to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Caleb Williams, a little bit about him. He was a five-star quarterback. He was the top-rated quarterback uh, in the transfer portal this year. 
and you have to at least kick the tires on somebody if they're willing to listen. Caleb Williams last season threw for just under 2,000 yards with 21 touchdowns and four interceptions. He also added almost 500 rushing yards and six touchdowns before opting to transfer after Lincoln Riley went to USC. So it's been thought that Caleb Williams was going to become a Trojan like his former head coach. Also LSU, like I mentioned before, they have been considered the favorites to land Williams, but apparently Paul Christ has been working on Caleb Williams as well. And now with Bobby Engram potentially coming to Wisconsin, that could help seal the deal. But the deal is not yet sealed by a long shot. But I just wanted to bring you that as we started off the show tonight. Uh, A couple of other things. The Major League Baseball Players Association, it appears as though there is some movement, although it's slow movement. But look, spring training is only about three weeks away. And the closer we get to spring training with this lockout in place, the harder it's going to be to get the season started on time. Can there be a truncated spring training? There can be, because most of these guys keep themselves in pretty good shape. The pitchers and catchers need it more than the position players and the hitters. But if you're a pitcher in Major League Baseball, I would assume that you've already got some sort of off-season workout regimen that is going to keep you in shape. But uh, one of the big deals between the players and the owners was for the players, they wanted to achieve free agency, full free agency, after six years, or after five years. The owners wanted to keep it at six years. Keeping it at six years helps teams like the Brewers because they can control players like... Uh, Cy Young Award winner Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff. They're both going to become full free agents in 2025 unless the new collective bargaining agreement knocks that down to 2024. And you want to keep these guys in Milwaukee as long as you can possibly keep them in Milwaukee. That's what has helped get them to the point where they've been in the playoffs each of the last four years. So something to keep our eye on as well. But the players did back off on the five-year I guess, bargaining chip or request or whatever you want to call it. I think that's a big deal. There's a lot of other things that they're still trying to figure out. It all will come down to money like everything else always comes down to money. All right, Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show earlier today. We didn't get a chance to listen to Aaron Rodgers yesterday because he was not one of the six players that the Packers made available to reporters via the Zoom conference call. We didn't have a show last night. But he wasn't available anyway. So the only time that we had a chance to listen to Aaron Rodgers was today. And in case you missed it, here are some of the things that he had to say on the Pat McAfee show on Sirius XM, uh, also broadcast on YouTube. One of the first questions that Aaron was asked today was, you know, after the loss on Saturday night to the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round, where is your head at? right now yeah i mean it's difficult uh anytime the season ends it's always abrupt definitely felt like we had a special special team this year be able to make a super bowl run so it's it's frustrating to go out and play like that you know especially when our defense returned a couple guys they were playing incredible you know keep them out of the end zone uh and then offensively not get it done and special teams not get it done was was disappointing so um, you know, definitely a quiet locker room after the game and, and the eeriness, as you both know, of going back in the locker and and having guys kind of clean out their locker and moving on and, and the uncertainty of next year with so many people on the team, you know, definitely adds to the uh, the feeling. But I think, you know, when the, when the numbness and the sadness and the frustration wears off, it, it allows perspective to start to fill the void and... 
gratitude and appreciation, and I'm waiting to feel those feelings. Now, all right, it's still waiting to feel those. One of the things that was kind of jarring about Saturday night's game is that it didn't feel like Aaron was really ever on rhythm. He only threw to one wide receiver generally throughout the entire game, and that was, of course, Devontae Adams. Uh, there was a sprinkle here, a sprinkle there. I think Alan Lazard got one, one target. Randall Cobb had one target. So why was Aaron a little bit off rhythm on Saturday night? They got a great defense. I think they, they stopped the run first, you know, when, and and they did a good job stopping the run, and then they got after us uh, in the passing game. They did a nice job of, uh, you know, mixing the coverages up, bringing some pressures. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, didn't protect uh, specifically great. We had a couple opportunities. Uh, to hit some big plays and, you know, uh, didn't make them. But they stopped the run. I think that was, that was something that they didn't do on the first drive. We were able to kind of get some, move the ball. I don't think we had a third down on the first drive and then had another good drive going. Fred had a nice punch on the ball to create a turnover. And we just couldn't quite get back into rhythm, myself included. Couldn't quite get back into a rhythm offensively until the, uh, the long drive got down there, had a penalty, and then couldn't get the ball in the end zone. And obviously sputtered in the fourth quarter and had a punt block. And, and uh, you know, that was kind of all she wrote there. Well, that all leads to then, all right, are you going to come back in 2022 or are you not going to come back in 2022? Aaron has said, look, I, I haven't made up my mind yet. I will let everyone know in due time, but I'm not going to drag this thing out. Which then leads to the question, all right, then what will exactly the determining factors be as to whether you do or don't return to Green Bay? Yeah, I think some of the factors are the you know, direction uh, of part of the team and the organization and, and how I feel like I fit in the, in, in the future uh, mentally. You know, do I still have the passion, the competitiveness, and the desire to keep, keep playing? And I think it's a feeling that you just kind of know once you feel the off season has started. Um, you know, when you're a competitive, hyper competitive individual, you also you also probably want you to dream or think about what the fairy tale ending is, and it doesn't mean Super Bowl necessarily, but that's a pretty damn good fairy tale. Um, you know, not many people have been able to walk off like that. I mean, Peyton. Peyton did and John Elway did, but not many people have been able to do that. And, and um, so it's, it comes down to more just how you're feeling. Can you still can you still play? Do you still have the same commitment and and enjoyment with the game? And and do you want to sign up for the grind uh, again? And I think the only way of knowing that is to probably get away from it for a little bit, let your mind clear, and and then think about it. Uh, you know, and, and think about the enormity of, of uh, um, the task and what would bring you the most uh, enjoyment. Right. So when are we going to know then? I think the thing that, you know, I, uh, I will say is that it won't be – one thing I would not do, 100% would not do, is retire and then – you know, come back a year later. Like that's just, okay. I don't, I don't have any desire to do that. That, that makes no sense. Um, I feel like I'm at, I'm at the place relationally with the Packers, um, you know, in a really good place, especially with, uh, with Brian and the way our friendship and, and trust has, has grown where GM, where, good, good, good. yeah, where, good, you good. know, 
the, it would be a simple conversation and whatever comes out of the conversation is moving forward. There's not going to be any weird, you know, standoff, uh, you know, war of silence or anything. It's, you know, Brian and I have had good conversations throughout the year and, and when it, you know, when it comes time to make a decision, we'll have a, we'll have a conversation and, and that'll be that. There won't be, it won't be a long drawn out process and, and, I think that's what's best for me, for him, for the organization, and for all the other decisions that need to be made. So then, no matter what he chooses to do, all options are on the table, though, right? I, mean, I don't think there's any uh, free agency is is not. I don't think that's an option. But I think, um, but everything is definitely on the table. Uh, there are things that seem more plausible or more likely, which I won't necessarily get into. But um, the most important thing is first. Uh, the the commitment to to playing and to going through the off season and training and all that all that stuff is the most is the first and then after that um, it's just conversations with uh, my agent and and Brian and looking at the uh, the desires of the team and and the, you know the kind of the mindset moving forward and then make a decision from there. So I was live tweeting the entire interview, or at least most of it, when it happened at 1 o'clock this afternoon. That's when it started. And one of the things that I tweeted out was, and this got some attention on my social media today, uh, I tweeted out that Rogers also says that if he does come back, he doesn't feel it necessary to be a full off-season participant. He says he prefers to work out near his Southern California home. A lot of people that on, at least on my Twitter, reacted to that. Didn't necessarily react all that great to it. So I wanted to let him put it in his own words, exactly what Aaron Rodgers said about that. And I, again, you only have 280 characters. You have to paraphrase, but this is what Aaron Rodgers said in actuality. My desire to be a full-time participant in the offseason is, you know, I just don't think I need that I think what I need for for off seasons to continue playing is working, you know, with with my uh, you know my body work people, uh, you know, training where I like to train in uh, in Southern California. That to me gets me in the best position to go out and perform at the highest level. And the Packers will undoubtedly allow him to do that because if you want Aaron to come back, you have to. I guess give in to certain concessions. And if he puts up another MVP type of season, that's better than the alternative. If you're a Packers fan, if you're a true Packers fan, and you're invested in watching this team win football games, you keep him for another year. You want to keep him for another year. I'll take Aaron Rodgers under center as opposed to Jordan Love under center. Just who gives you the most opportunity to win football games? Is it going to be number 12 or is it going to be number 10? Sorry, it's going to be number 10. I'm sorry, it's going to be number 12 rather than number 10. And I know for some Packers fans, that's a bitter pill to swallow. I know for some Packers fans, you're ready to turn the page. I know that because you've told me over the last 48 hours. But if you really want to see this team win, if you don't want that window to close completely for the next 10 years, 12 years, 14 years, your best opportunity is to bring back a 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers in 2022. Whether that happens or not, according to Aaron, even he doesn't know yet. But that's what he did say today on the Pat McAfee Show. We probably won't be hearing much more from Aaron Rodgers until he does make his decision. All right. 
The Baseball Writers Association of America, they have made their decision. I don't agree with it, but we'll chop it up coming up straight ahead with uh, J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. It's coming up straight ahead. I'm Doug Russell. You're locked on to the game night. Game night continues on. Congratulations to Big Poppy, David Ortiz, the lone member of the class of 2020, at least as far as the writers are concerned, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The balloting coming out about an hour ago, a little bit less than an hour ago. Doug Russell back with you here on the game night, joining us on the program right now. He wrote about the uh, fact that uh, there, at least this year, only tangentially is there one player that could possibly represent Wisconsin in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that is David Ortiz, which is, and when I say tangentially, I mean it's a little bit of a stretch, but he is a Packers fan, and there's a reason behind that as well. J.R. Radcliffe uh, joining us here on the game night. J.R., I wanted to talk to you about this, but more over than that, it's been too long since I've had you on the air, so that was really the other reason that I wanted to call you. It's true. I always love to hang out, especially when Wisconsin connections aren't up for discussion. Uh, like noted Wisconsin Timber Rattlers alumnus David Ortiz. Love to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, he wasn't even David Ortiz at the time. He was David Arias at the time. It's true. 19, what is that, 95 or 96? Yeah. They was... just had transitioned from the Appleton Foxes. So he was, I th- I'm sure, unless there's a rehab assignment I don't know about, he is the uh, the first Wisconsin Timber Rattler in the uh, in the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. Pretty sweet. And it's interesting that the one Appleton Fox that was on the balloting uh, today didn't get in. Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> who played in 1994 at Old Goodman Field as an Appleton Fox for a few months. I actually... When I was still an undergrad at UW Oshkosh, I made the trek to Goodland Field because all I had heard about was this kid who was the first overall pick in the draft. He was going to be the next great superstar in Major League Baseball, and he was in the majors later on that season. But he struck out three times and made two errors, and I'm like, "What? Is, this guy sucks. Uh, I think he Josh just had a bad day. If we were at the same game, because I grew up in the Fox Cities, I definitely saw Alex Rodriguez go. I thought it was going 0 for 2 at the game I was at with one error. Maybe it <laughs> okay. was more. I don't know. But uh, but very underwhelming. Very underwhelming at Goodman Field. I was very disappointed. I was uh, maybe perhaps I conflated it over the years. But yeah, he didn't have a great game by a long shot. But OK, so the, the, when I say tangentially that uh, David Ortiz is someone who has a Wisconsin tie that is going into Cooperstown. I guess I didn't realize that they had split up last year, but his wife of uh, almost 25 years, or at least they were together for 25 years, they met while he was David Arias when he was still playing for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, She got him to be a Green Bay Packers fan, of all things. That's right, yeah. Uh, Kakana native. Uh, Tiffany Brick, I believe her maiden name is. I am myself uh, somebody proud Kokonian. Shout out to the Galloping Ghosts. Uh, but, uh, yeah, apparently they met when, when he was, you know, with the Timber Rattlers in Appleton. And uh, they were together, like you said, for a quarter century. They were uh, married, I want to say, for 19 years. I also did not realize that they had separated. They, I, I, there was a time in 2013 where I think it, it looked like they were going to separate, that they even filed for divorce. But they reconciled. Uh, she has been really involved with his charitable stuff over the years. So, yeah, there's a... Uh, there's definitely a Wisconsin hook there. He's been to Wisconsin a gajillion times. He's a huge Packers fan now, uh, as as you noted. So uh, so yes, it's a uh, 
he, he gets to be an honorary Wisconsinite when it suits us, as it does in this occasion, when we can pretend like he is, in fact, a, uh, a Wisconsinite. We'll, uh, we'll just say noted Wisconsinite David Ortiz headed to the, to the uh, Hall of Fame. Well, if it suits us, we'll definitely do that. So uh, congratulations to Wisconsin native uh, David <laughs> <laughs> Ortiz. Uh, were you surprised that he was the only one to get in? And, and by the way, he didn't make it by much. He only made it by, you know, a couple of percentage points, 77.9%. You need 75% to get in. I the last year of Bonds, the last year of Clemens, I thought one of them might squeak in. I wasn't surprised based on what I was seeing from the ballots and the sort of expected nature of, of how things flowed here. The, the ballots that were revealed, uh, you had Bonds and Clemens just barely over that 75% line. But uh, history has shown that those guys, you know, they lose a lot of percentage points once you get to the ballots that aren't revealed. The older generation of sports writers, if you want to be stereotypical about it, uh, tend, to, tend, of course, to, to not want those guys in the Hall of Fame, and it was a pretty big drop. I, if, if you had told me this five years ago, I would have been surprised because I really, really thought we would get to a place where Bonds and Clemens would gain induction. I, I thought that there was momentum, you know, sort of a, you know, along the lines of there's a lot of guys who cheated, who did bad stuff in their personal lives and on the field. Gaylord Perry, famous you know, famous for scuffing the ball and all kinds of substances and stuff. I mean, and that's one of the that's one of the more wholesome examples that I can come up with. So uh, there's a lot of uh, certainly I think the case could have been made over the course of the last decade that those guys merited induction. But uh, but clearly people still feel strongly. They still feel like what you know, their the suspicion, the connection to the performance enhancing drugs is still too much. And it is it is it is, of course, ironic that that David Ortiz is the guy who goes in because David Ortiz himself has. Uh, a connection to it uh, from a from a test back you know all the way back in 2003 it was supposed to be anonymous kind of garbage that it was even out there and six years later whatever it was rob manfred has said that that might have been a tainted supplement not you know like he could have been one of the 10 to 15 who uh, who had a tainted supplement not necessarily because of performance enhancing drugs that kind of absolved him or at least put put enough suspicion around it i mean it's it's just a whiff of suspicion and the guy should be i think he should be a hall of famer especially if you account for postseason success and, and the visibility that he had as a player uh he certainly fits that mold i don't think he's a slam dunk hall of famer i think just getting across there with the 77 percent or whatever it was is is probably right uh i also i also think it's right that barry bonds and roger clemens get into the hall of fame and i'm not sure it's ever going to happen and uh, it's, i think it's a bummer that it got reduced from 15 to 10 years on the ballot a few years back and I think uh, I think they still deserve a few more opportunities, but that's the way it goes. And uh, I know people are pretty salty about those guys, so uh, so that's that's how it is. And uh, we'll see if down the line the veterans committee picks up the case and, and see where it goes from there. Well, one thing about the baseball Hall of Fame is that we've come to learn over the years is they change the rules when it suits them. I mean, here's your case in point. And by the way, I, I brought this up on the Drew and KB show as well. What does it say about the baseball Hall of Fame? That now that the window has closed, at least for the writers on Bonds and Clemens, that the all-time home runs leader is not enshrined in the Hall of Fame. The all-time Cy Young Award winner is not enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And the all-time hits leader is not enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And I know it's a separate issue. I understand that gambling is a separate issue than performance-enhancing drugs. But what does that say about the Hall of Fame when you're keeping the all-time home run Cy Young Award winner and hits leader out of the Hall? Yeah, I think it's fair to say it's it's an incomplete history. And I, I definitely used to be in the camp of 100% they should be in the Hall of Fame. You have to root out your suspicions. You have to root out 
you know, the, the, the potential for cheating, because the fact of the matter is if, if everyone was cheating, they still rose way up to the, you know, the cream rose to the top anyway. And they were great players before any suspicion of cheating. They were on a Hall of Fame track. I was definitely in that camp that it can't be a museum to baseball if it doesn't have all of all of the best players in baseball. And, you know, even, even for me, even Pete Rose fits that description. Now, I'm a little little less militant about that point of view. I mean, it's yes, it's a museum, but like, do we really care if, if every single aspect of the history is covered in a museum? Like you could, you could do whatever you want. The Hall of Fame can do whatever it wants. The writers can do whatever they want. There's a wide breadth of voters who, uh, who get to have their say with many different viewpoints and opinions and, and the consensus, you know, leaves, leaves Bonds and Clemens a little bit short at this point. I mean, I saw Jeff Passan wrote a really interesting article on ESPN sort of arguing that you know, putting them in allows you to talk about this stuff, this chapter of baseball history, to not just shove it under the rug and say, yes, Barry Bonds was amazing. He was unlike anything else that had come before or since. And it's, it, it, we don't know how tainted it is. You know, we don't, we don't know what to make of it. I, I, I think that's an interesting point of view as well. I mean, by saying Barry Bonds gets to be in the Hall of Fame, you get, you know, that's a celebratory thing. So, if, you know, it, it's a little complicated to, to celebrate him and then also discuss the dark side of that in, in the context of it. But, yeah, at, at this point, you know, every, everyone knows the Pete Rose, the Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens story to a lesser degree. Every, everyone knows it. So they know when they go to Cooperstown that those guys are controversially not in those hallways. But, um, you know, I... I, I would definitely still be without without being so militant about it. I would still be in the camp of you know just let them let them in. Like they 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 absolutely were deserving as players. Yes, there's some there's some checkered history there, but there's checkered history of a lot of guys. And I don't know if we can be the ones to adjudicate what's bad and what's not. And we should we should just uh, put them in on their merits. Well, and Drew Olson, part of the Drew and KB show, of course, uh, he has a vote as a, a former, I mean, he's still a member of the Baseball Writers Association, but uh, past president of the Baseball Writers Association, former Brewers beat reporter, that's how he got his vote. And and he brings up a good point. And, you know, if you put Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in, it's like, well, they're cheaters. It's like, well, yeah, but who, can you tell me for a fact that, and I'm not. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. But can you tell me that Vladimir Guerrero never cheated? Can you tell me that Jim Tomei never treat, never cheated? Can you tell me that uh, Pudge Rodriguez, who you know there, you know there's uh, some uh, whispers that he also cheated. Mike Piazza, there have been questions about over the years. Craig Biggio, uh, Jeff Bagwell, there have been accusations that have been thrown around about their potential cheating. Um, you don't know where to start. You don't know who to throw out. And the other part of it is, I'll even go back to some of the great players that played in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, who, as you know, the, the book Ball 4 uh, examined, sure. you've got amphetamines that were just part of the culture of the game of baseball. Steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, for this era of players was part of the culture of the game. So can you tell me for a fact that... Hank Aaron never used Grainies or Ted Williams, who, by the way, fought in World War II, which is where they came from in the first place. They let pilots go on 24-hour bombing runs. Can you tell me that Joe DiMaggio never used any kind of performance-enhancing drug? Can you tell me that Willie Mays never did? Can you tell me that Mickey Mantle never did? Where do you start? And just this this empirical, you're a cheater and you're not, I, I just I can't get behind this. Well, and look at, too, the reason the suspicion sprouted up about Barry Bonds in the first place is because he became better and bigger and stronger and and more tremendous as he got older, which is contrary to what you expect. David Ortiz just got in as a guy who was a much better player in his 30s than he was in his 20s. He's still fine in his 20s, but he became a Hall of Famer 
because of what he did in his 30s. So, and you mentioned Padre Rodriguez. There's another one, like a guy who didn't follow the traditional arc, but but you do get witch hunty when you start to start to say, well, this guy doesn't quite fit a profile. This is this is why you have guys who turn in blank ballots, which I find really irritating. But that's I would imagine their viewpoint. Like I don't know if any of these guys are clean, so I can't decide for myself. I'm just going to say none of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And, yeah, I, you know, again, I, I, I find that ridiculous. And, and the fact of the matter is you can't. You cannot say with certainty that who's clean and who's not. You know, I think Barry Bonds flew very close to the sun. He's, he's the one that hurt hurt a lot of people because baseball was, you know, baseball was rebounding from, or, or I should say baseball was just, you know, getting to a point where it had discovered that steroids were a part of the game. And and here's a guy who, was, you know, assaulted every home run record we could think of and, and got to be to this point that just nobody could touch him. And, and it hurt to find out that this wasn't clean, that baseball was, was messing, you know, was dropping the ball and trying to sort of weed this out of the game sooner. I mean, that's another part of the conversation, too. Like, baseball allowed this to happen. Like, it's a product of what was what was happening in the 90s, you know, when, when baseball, when we had the McGuire-Sosa thing. Like, I don't think MLB, the people in MLB were actively like, we don't want to talk about it because it's good for the game. I think that's a little conspiracy theory. But the fact of the matter is, you know, some of this stuff was even legal at the time because they didn't have the rules against it. They didn't have the process to, to, to you know, suss it out and everything. So, I, I mean, you, you could spin around in circles talking about Barry Bonds, talking about Roger Clemens all day long. It's true that it does come down to you can't really say with certainty one person is clean, one person is not, one person deserves it, one person doesn't. I think then you just sort of surrender to the to the process of the vote. You've got, you know, hundreds of people who are weighing in, and, and the consensus says, Two thirds of the people think he should be in, but that's that's not enough. They need yeah. to have three fourths. So I guess uh, I guess you just kind of have to live with that. End of the day, it was good for business after the player strike of '94. Final thing for you is we're joined by J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Now it goes to the Veterans Committee in a few years for Bonds and Clemens. Just a gut reaction. Do you think either one or both will eventually wind up in Cooperstown? I think it depends a little bit on what happens with Alex Rodriguez. I really thought he would get more vote percentage than he did his first time around. I thought maybe, again, like referring to what I said before, that we, we kind of have progressed a little bit in how we view this stuff. Well, I don't know. Alex Rodriguez is starting in a pretty low place here, percentage-wise, and he's he's even had a chance to sort of rehab his image in the years since he left baseball by being an announcer and kind of being the public eye, sometimes for weirder than, <laughs> than better. But um, he didn't start in a place that encourages me to thinking that in 10 years he will have enough he will have that 75%. But if he does get it, if he does get in in the next 10 years, well, then I think you have to say, I mean, Alex Rodriguez has as suspicious as anybody in this whole, this whole fiasco. I mean, there's actually, I mean, he was actually suspended for it. Uh, how, do you, how do you say, well, he got in, but we still don't want Bonds and Clemens in? I mean, at that point, what are, what are we even talking about? These are contemporaries who, who you know, and, and Bonds unquestionably deserves to be in, and Clemens as well. What, what are we even fighting for anymore at this point? So um, I'd be curious to see how that connects. If, uh, if Alex Rodriguez does not get in, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think there's going to be too many hurt feelings, too many people who just really believe that they're, they're allowing the Hall of Fame to get tainted if they, if they put Bonds and Clemens in there. I, 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 don't, I don't know what happens, but curious to see what happens with Rodriguez. If, he, if he's in, in, in six, seven years, uh, I've got I to gotta think Bonds and Clemens will get in there too. It'll be interesting to see. J.R. Radcliffe from the Journal Sentinel joining us here on the game night. J.R., great stuff as always, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Sounds good, Doug. Talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. There he goes, J.R. Radcliffe. Check out his great stuff online at jsonline.com or in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Always uh, fun to catch up with J.R. All right. We'll talk some Marquette basketball coming up next. It's Cracked Sidewalk's 17th anniversary today. 
We'll talk with Joe McCann from Crack Sidewalks coming up straight ahead. The Marquette Golden Eagles, one of the hottest teams in all of college basketball? Believe it. It's coming up straight ahead. I'm Doug Russell. This is the Game Night. The Game Night rolls on on this Tuesday evening. Hopefully uh, you're staying warm as best as you can when it's single digits outside. Doug Russell back with you for... A few more minutes here on 97.3, the game. The Marquette Golden Eagles, the hottest team in college basketball, believe it. Coming up tomorrow, they are at Seton Hall for a rematch with the Pirates. And it was the Seton Hall game that really kind of made everybody else around the country stand up and take notice that, well, maybe these guys are pretty good. Joining us on the program right now, uh, he is part of the Marquette fan blog, Cracked Sidewalks. He also is a podcaster. His podcast is called Scrambled Eggs on the Marquette uh, Basketball Beat. Joe McCann joining us here on the game night. Joe, appreciate the time. How are you doing tonight? Doing great, Doug. How are you? Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on the show tonight. How about this Marquette team? How high are you guys right now as Marquette fans? Because you're ranked 22nd in the country in the first year of Shaka Smart's tenure as head coach. We'll get to that in a second because usually it takes a little bit longer. But I've got to think you guys are riding pretty high right now. Yeah, I think we are pretty high. Speaking just speaking for Marquette basketball fans, I I think we came in with low expectations. Say, hey, you know, first year head coach, he's got to rebuild the pieces. He's got a lot of young guys. You know, uh, like what eight nine guys are classified as freshmen on this team, um, and they were picked ninth in the preseason in the Big East. So, and thing is, even when they won a few games in the non conference play, when they beat Illinois and West Virginia and Ole Miss. They were like, okay, those are some nice wins, but let's not get too excited. It's still early. we got a long season to go, and the Big East is a grind. But six-game winning streak, I think a lot of Marquette fans, we're starting to believe like, this team is actually legit good. Uh, like, I mean, how far will they go and how much will this keep going? I don't know. But uh, what they've been doing lately, to me, does not feel like a fluke or lucky or just catching teams at the right time. I think they've really improved – a lot just within the season, and uh, it feels sustainable to me. Well, this is the 17th anniversary of Crack Sidewalks, where your Scrambled Eggs podcast is hosted. You do some work for Crack Sidewalks, obviously. And I'm just doing the rudimentary math that takes it back to about 2005, a couple of years removed from the Final Four. This past 17 years, it's been kind of a roller coaster up and down. How do you characterize the last 17 years since the Final Four of Marquette basketball and kind of the history of crack sidewalks? Well, yeah. So, um, so I was I was in school in 2003. So I was I was there in the final four year and I, I didn't like really joined on in crack sidewalks until we started the podcast, which the podcast started in 2013. But yeah, but since that time, yeah, it has been some ups and downs because obviously 2003 was the highest of highs. We had Dwayne Wade, a lottery pick, who's now going to be a Hall of Famer, taking us to the final four. Uh, and then there they, there was a couple NIT years, and then that next class came in with James uh, Dominic James, who was inducted into the Marquette uh, the M Club Hall of Fame over the weekend, uh, and Jarrell McNeil, who was the all time leading scorer for a while, and Wesley Matthews, who's with the Bucks now. Uh, well, then that class just kind of brought it back up, and they were a legit top twenty five team again. They didn't get out of the first weekend ever. They had some tough luck in that regard, but the team was legitimately good again. And like that M- James McNeil Matthews class kind of showed us that Marquette can be good without Wade, that like the Wade year or two was not just like a fluke thing and it was just going to be a blip on the radar. And then, 
yeah, then Kareem left, Buzz came in, Buzz kept that momentum going, and then Buzz has really kind of took it to another level with those three straight Sweet 16s, uh, that shared Big East championship that was led by Jay Crowder, the Elite Eight team, uh, and then Buzz left. Um, well, then Buzz had one tough year after that, his last year there, and then Buzz left, and then I think the team struggled a bit. Um, it, you know, the Wojo years weren't quite what we had hoped. Um, they didn't get a tournament win in that in the past eight years, so the seven years under Wojo. So I think there was some general apathy among the fan base over the last few years. And what Shaka has done now in this first year has kind of rejuvenated the fan base a lot from my perspective. And I think there's a lot of excitement around Marquette basketball again that hasn't been there for a few years. When the move was made to fire Steve Wojciechowski last spring, did that catch you off guard? It did because I was under the impression that financially it wouldn't work. From an egg, from a wins and losses perspective, it made perfect sense to me. Uh, it, like he just had not been producing. I, I think along with many Marquette fans had just been resigned to the fact that like because of the pandemic and maybe some of the financial concerns about removing a coach and then pay, buying him out and then paying another one, we just didn't think it would work for that reason. So financially was the only reason I didn't think a move would be made. But as far as wins and losses and time to move on within the program, that did not surprise me at all because it felt like the right time. When Shaka was hired, how high was your optimism? Guarded, but I, I, I was very high. I mean, I was high on Shaka because – he has always had a strong foundation of defense. And that's something that I think that he has always been able to bring. If you keep up with the advanced metrics, like on Ken Palm, uh, Shaka Smart has had a top 40 defense every year since his third year at VCU. So he has always had a strong defensive team. And then those years when the offense has been there, those have been his best teams. And yeah, it didn't quite work out for him at Texas for whatever reason. I think he had some bad luck at Texas too with, uh, you know, we can, I don't want to get too far into it, but he had some players he had to suspend. Uh, he had a five-star prospect at cancer. I mean, that'll set you back. And then he just had some tough luck in the tournament. But I never thought Shaka was a bad coach, and I never thought like he had forgotten how to coach or how to build a program. And for whatever reason, sometimes just work out at, at Texas, despite all the money and support it has there. And I think just Shaka's in a better spot to succeed being at a basketball school, being a school at Marquette where basketball is the top sport that – you know, they're not dependent on football and they just have such a great community supporting the basketball team. I thought just a reset for Shaka would be good for him. Now, I didn't expect the team to be this good this soon, but I was cautiously optimistic that Shaka would kind of prove that what happened at Texas was not quite him, that he was better than what his record showed at Texas. Is this almost a house money year or was it maybe at the outset? Because I think the bars maybe changed a little bit for the better as the team is, is improved because changing culture from a malaise and let's face it. I think that's kind of where the program was under coach Wojo to the winning program that we've seen over the last several weeks. It takes more than just a season. This is almost always a multi-year process. I mean, did you feel like it was kind of just playing with house money at this point? Absolutely, a house money. I, I mean, at beginning of the season, I, I would have said if they finished ninth, I would have been all, all right with them. I wouldn't have loved it watching the team finish ninth in the Big East, but it, it would have made sense to me. So I think anything they achieve this year, whether it's making the tournament, uh, uh, however many games they win in the Big East, feels like a bonus. And it just feels like they're ahead of schedule. And obviously the trick is to stay ahead of schedule, right? You know, it's not like, uh, you know, everything's great if you have one nice season, make the tournament, 
uh, win a game and then don't do much else after that. So, but yeah, I, it feels like they're ahead of schedule and uh, anything that they are doing right now does feel like a bonus. So yeah, they, to answer your question, yes, it does feel like a house money year and they are playing with the house money and <laughs> they keep winning. It's never a bad thing. Joe McCann joining us from the uh, Scrambled Eggs podcast, part of Crack Sidewalks. Personnel-wise, we'll get to Justin Lewis in a moment, but those freshman guards, Cam Jones and Stevie Mitchell, they've been great. How have you seen their development, and how much has that surprised the Marquette fan base? Um, a little bit. You know, I, I think I think Cam Jones' scoring ability has surprised me. I, You know, because you look at the roster and you have 10, 11 guys, and you just don't – like, not everybody can play, right? You, you, you can't give everybody the minutes they need to, to score a bunch or contribute a bunch. And so I just figured Cam Jones, being a, a true freshman – uh, maybe not. He wouldn't get a lot of minutes this year. And when he's gotten in there, he has just shown the confidence and just the athleticism and scoring ability. Uh, and I think he's just going to be such a great, great player. Um, so he has surprised me. Uh, Stevie Mitchell, um, he's done well. Like the, the box score doesn't show it with Stevie, you know, because it's not like he scores a lot of points or gets a lot of assists or get a lot of rebounds. But if you watch that Xavier game, you know his hustle and his effort contributed to that win just the effort he gave on defense especially when Kolick was on the bench and there was that one particular play where he uh, tipped a, a rebound off a missed free throw and got it to Kerr and Kerr got a dunk and turned into a four-point play it's just kind of with Stevie's just kind of like little plays um and just little effort things that he continues to contribute to the team in the relatively small role he has he's still kind of like buried on the bench there he's kind of like the eighth ninth guy but um his contributions can't be uh, overstated. I think he's doing a great job, and I think both Jones and Mitchell, who were both Wojo commits, by the way. I mean, they both committed to Wojo, but they both stuck around after the coaching change. Uh, I, I think um, Shaka really benefited from them sticking around, and I think they both have a bright future at Marquette. How much fun has Justin Lewis been to watch this year? Gosh, he's been fantastic. You know, and you know, at his best in his freshman year, uh, we saw glimpses of this, and he had, I think he had some injuries late last year, kind of slowed him down a little bit, and he really didn't finish last year very strong. But he he is looking like an NBA guy. I, I don't know if it'll be this year, but it probably won't be long for him. Um, he's especially during this winning streak, the confidence that he shows on the offensive end, whether it's taking his man to the paint and just that drop step move that he has getting to the basket and getting tough points or, and his three point shot has improved. He really struggled uh, shooting from the outside early in the season, but that's really coming around. And, you know, if he has a consistent outside shot, he's an NBA guy for sure. I, I'm not saying first round necessarily, but maybe uh, he, he is really getting there and his game continues to evolve. He's already had just a, a couple of iconic moments in his short Marquette career. He had the tip in buzzer beater last year to beat Wisconsin. Right. And then he had the big three pointer this year to beat Villanova at center pavilion where Marquette had never won. So he is a leader on this team. He's probably the team's best NBA prospect. And I just love watching him play. He, he brings it every night. And just uh, when he's assertive and confident on the offensive end, man, he is tough and he is a thrill. Only got about 30 seconds left. There are 10 games remaining in the regular season, 14 and six right now, six and three in conference. What are you looking for for the rest of the year? Next couple of games are going to be tough, but it's house money because they're underdogs in the next four games. But then those last six games, they're going to be favored in just about all of them. So if they take care of business in those last six, 
they should be playing for a seed in the NCAA tournament. I think they'll get in. If they get in, uh, they play the style that's tough to match up with in the tournament. Maybe they can steal a win. Maybe they'll get one. I don't think I'm going to jinx them, but I think they're in. I honestly do. I mean, the way that they've been playing, they've got all those Q1 wins. I think it would take a really, really disappointing stretch down the road for them to not make it. Like Even if they lose their next four games, they can play their way in for sure. I think they have a great chance to make the tournament. I agree. Joe McCann joining us here on the game night for the first time. Joe, I appreciate the time. Let's do this again. Doug, absolutely. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Joe McCann joining us here from Scrambled Eggs, the Marquette Basketball Podcast. You can find that as part of Crack Sidewalks. A lot of fun catching up with uh, Joe McCann for the first time. Had him on the show. And uh, boy, I tell you what, Marquette is playing some exciting, fun basketball right now. That'll do it for this edition of the Game Nights. We will uh, see you again tomorrow night. Join us for another edition of the show. Have a great night, everybody. And uh, for crying out loud, stay warm. It's cold out there. One last call for alcohol, so finish your way.